This is Pub's Private Eye. I'm not here right now. Please leave a message. Punt, it's Tracy. Why do you never answer the phone, damn it? Listen, I want you to get down to Ballam and give a place called Duquesne Court the once over. Word is that Hitler was planning to live there. Yes, sounds a bit odd, doesn't it? See what you can find out for me, will you? And don't dawdle. You've got a week. Oh, and next time, pick up the phone. This was quite a case. I've always wanted to be a 1940s detective, and here was something straight from the era of Bogey and Bacall. Seems there have been consistent stories from that day to this that a block of flats in South London was earmarked by the Fuhrer himself for his British headquarters. Locals swear it's true even now, and when a rumour keeps going for that long, surely there's got to be something to it. There was only one way to find out, and that was to go underground. The next station is The London Underground, that is, the Northern Line to be precise, and make my way to Ballam. Gateway to the right. So, Duquesne Courts, Duquesne Courts. Uh, ah. And there it was, looming up over the Ballam High Road, a large block of 1930s flats. Could this be the place the Nazis had chosen as their London des res? Uh, right, well, there's revolving doors in the front. Walking through the Art Deco entrance hall, you could imagine Hercule Poirot on the case here probably passing Bertie Wooster going the other way. Oh, hi, uh, I need to find but were these marble floors marked out for the jackboot? There's certainly plenty of room. A that way and F that way. We're actually looking for H. It's enormous. This is really enormous. Um... To get the full lowdown, I'd come to meet the man who wrote the book on Duquesne Court. His name's Greg Vincent, and the book's called A History of Duquesne Court. I asked him to brief me about the building's strange folklore. The legend of Duquesne Court is that had Operation Sea Lion been put into effect, Operation Sea Lion, of course, was the German operation to invade Britain, the rumour has it that it would have been their headquarters and Hitler and his henchmen would have taken over the place and employed it as somewhere for him to reside. So if Hitler had invaded Britain, there would have been 600... Nazis living here. I think had he invaded, I, I, I would say, I would think almost certainly, yes. How did this rumour start? When the war started, people who lived here began to be slightly nervous that the building was going to be hit. As the bombing continued and Duquesne Court wasn't actually damaged, a rumour started to grow around the place that maybe there was something protecting it and covering four and a half acres you'd think um, it would almost be hard to miss, even if you were trying to miss it. <laughs> and there was a rumour that the building was built by um, a Japanese workforce in the shape of a swastika. A swastika? That was, of course, in the days before Google Earth. And you'd have to hope that even in the 1930s, if someone had built a swastika-shaped block of flats five miles from Croydon Airport, surely someone would have spotted it. But in an intensely bombed area, Duquesne Court was unscathed. And not just that, but each flat came supplied with that most up-to-date of mod cons, a built-in radio. It looks almost 
like a ventilator grill. It looks but like it's that as well. Speaker. Yes, yeah. yeah, and it would have been. Uh, would have been this could be used speaker. as a tannoy by the building's manager to tell residents off for not observing the blackout. But there was also a more sinister possibility. These are the controls. These are the controls here, so here as well. Program yes. one and program yes. two. Just see program one, program two. The uh, broadcasts, just as they could have been broken into by the, the manager, Mr Jackson, uh, they could also have been uh, interrupted by Lord Hawhaw and were on many occasions. The Fuhrer is not fond of threatening. He prefers action. There is only one probability with which Britain has to reckon. And that is surprise. And there was a theory that um, perhaps he was living in the building, maybe he was nearby. And then there was a, a theory that maybe it wasn't bombed because there was a hotbed of spies here. This was all feeding into this rumour that Duquesne Court was being penetrated in some way by German influence. It was certainly built on an impressive scale. It has been variously estimated that we have four or six miles of corridor as you can call. Four or six miles is a lot of goose-stepping. Fortunately, in the evening, Duquesne Court afforded ample rest and relaxation. So we're now on the seventh floor of C Block, and this is where the restaurant would have been. A band played, there was a piano there. Is there a bar as well? There was a bar at the time, yes, and um, there was a ballroom. So you can see that, you know, this was a very desirable residence. Yes. So if you were used to living in, in Germany, well, you know, they were very into all this modern architecture and technology, this would have been a home from home. Yes. A huge brand new block in a sea of Victorian terraces. The average German would have preferred it for the plumbing alone. But just how widespread was this rumour? Quite widespread, it turns out. Exhaustive inquiries revealed another obituary of Duquesne Court, who I hoped might be able to provide some more information. One Arthur Smith. Please knock loudly, doorbell broken. Arthur moved here in the mid-80s, but first heard of the building's reputation long before that. It was years ago when I must have been about ten years old. Didn't live anywhere near here, it was elsewhere in London. We were driving by and my dad said, see that building? Hitler was going to live there. And then years later I moved in here and loads of people take it for given. And it's rather a beguiling thought, although clearly it's, it's a bit more complicated than Hitler was going to come down here with Eva Braun in a removal van and uh, set up flat. One of my theories is that maybe there was a musical joke about it. It was known as Cocaine Court at one time. You know, it was all rather flashy, and the locals, all getting bombed and starving, were resentful of it. Would a music hall joke survive 70 years and still be told today? Depends what programmes you listen to. But the central allegation in the story, that the building was to be used as Nazi headquarters, seemed to make sense. Secure, big, south of the river, short of uh, the actual city, where presumably there would have been further uh, resistance. And I think that's the truth of it, and that all the other stuff about swastikas has, has blossomed and grown from that. 
because, of course, they probably would have been coming up the uh, A23. Just perfect for a tank. Couple, you can get two Panzers side by side storming up Ballam High Road, I reckon. Especially as they're about to arrive at Clapham High Street, which is always terribly congested. So they would have had trouble getting up there. They would have needed to stop here first. However, I felt that a military historian could possibly provide more detail than Arthur Smith on whether the Germans were indeed intending to come up Clapham High Road and get stuck in the traffic. How did the Germans plan to invade Britain? And how far advanced were those plans in 1940 as they made their way across Europe? The first reports came in saying that German troops were crossing the frontier into Denmark. The news from France is very bad. As it became clear that France was going to fall, Hitler said to them, right, you know, come on, chaps, we're going for, for, for Britain next. Martin Marix Evans wrote Invasion 1940. I hoped he could shed some light on my case. And the German army were absolutely horrified at the suggestion and resisted it very hard. And it was pushed through simply at Hitler's insistence. <laughs> In the end, it came down to um, a plan to go on Saturday, the 21st of September, 1940. We must regard the next week or so as a very important week for us in our history. It was really a frantic and fearful and worrying time. Our shores are well fortified and strongly manned, and behind them, ready to attack the invaders... What they were going to do is to have one hook of attack coming up from Dover and then around the North Downs towards the Medway through Maidstone and coming up that way towards London. The other lot of people would go down the other way about clockwise uh, through Horsham before hooking up towards Guildford. Hold on, Horsham is on the A24, the very road that runs past Duquesne Court, and Guildford is on the A3, which eventually turns into the Clapham High Road. I take back everything I said about Arthur Smith. And if they could get to the west, cut London off from the rest of England, I think they thought that if they got London, then the British would give up. There's a particular block of flats in South London whose residents still believe to this day that their building was, was earmarked for use by senior Nazis in the event of invasion. Would it have made sense for that to be the kind of place that they would have been looking for? Oh, yes, completely, completely sensible. It all seems to hang together, but I'm not aware of any documentary evidence to support it. Aha. But searching for any information on where Hitler planned to make his headquarters, I came upon something unexpected. Duquesne Court is not the only building which believes it was the Fuhrer's London crash pad. It has a rival. Senate House, the headquarters of the University of London, has also staked a claim. Another imposing 30s building, which is at the centre of a number of legends. The scope of my investigation had suddenly expanded. I was tipped off that Senate House archivist Richard Temple was the man to ask. The number one rumour, I'd say, was that it was going to be Hitler's headquarters after the war. That was a very strong rumour, and we're asked about that all the time. I wish I knew what the answer was. I'd love to know. There were other rumours. For example, before the war, it was rumoured that this was going to be Mosley's, Oswald Mosley's headquarters. Ah, yeah, no, there's a clear co connection. It does look almost rather totalitarian. If you look at the searchlights um, shining up at the building, 
sinister, very, very tall building. Um, and I can imagine the secret police being based here and that people would be taken here in the totalitarian society in the middle of the night. I think un until they've got proof um, that Hitler had a particular building in mind, then this will always be a candidate in people's minds, no question about it. Senate House is an enormous white building that would have stood out a mile on a clear night. And yet, again, it wasn't seriously bombed. And again, local residents felt this was strange. But before I'd had a chance to think further, another candidate emerged. This time, in a slightly less central location. A few years ago, some documents came up for auction which seemed to suggest that the thousand-year reign of the Third Reich might have been conducted from the sleepy Shropshire Idyll of Bridgenorth. First, I had to do what the Nazis did and find the place on a map. Then, I arranged to speak to Richard Westwood Brooks, documents expert at the auctioneers concerned. It was in a complete set of the plans, found in Belgium by a British soldier, and one of the maps shows a location plan based on uh, Bridge North. And uh, it seemed to me that this was being picked out by Hitler as a specific area that he was wanting to concentrate on and possibly even make it his headquarters. What was it about Bridge North, do you think, that, that would have made it such a, a target for them? Far away from the British Navy. And secondly, of course, it had an air base, which was also quite important. And thirdly, uh, bizarrely, of course, Rudolf Hess was uh, incarcerated in this area. The town of Bridge North itself, was that bombed? No. It wasn't? No, no, it, it wasn't. A pattern was definitely emerging here. And Richard then produced an even bolder claim. It is always assumed that the invasion would have taken place across the Channel into southeast England. It could well be, of course, that Hitler had completely different ideas as to how to get into Britain, and he may well have wanted to come uh, up the River Severn. Now, that hadn't occurred to me. My invasion expert had assured me that the attack was to come from the south coast. But once here, it seems that there were no shortage of candidates for the dubious honour of being Hitler's British HQ. Just about anywhere that wasn't bombed fell under suspicion, including Oxford, Blenheim Palace, Blackpool, yes, Blackpool, and Windsor Castle, should Hitler feel like abandoning the Art Deco thing and going traditional. But surely it would have been London, and I wasn't ready to abandon Duquesne Court just yet. There were a number of angles I still had to check out. Arthur and Greg had mentioned tales of Nazi spies, indeed a veritable hotbed of spies. It was down to the National Archives at Kew, where I called on the services of Howard Davis, who liaises with MI5 on the release of sensitive documents. He pulled out a number of files he thought might be of interest in my inquiries. Now, I've seen those old movies. Every film made in the late 30s involves Nazi spies. I've always had the idea that the whole country was swarming with them. But I was in for a surprise. It was really only at the end of the war when they started to interrogate the the German intelligence officers that fell into Allied hands, that the full picture emerged. And really, today, we know that there was only one agent who stayed at liberty. We've got his, his file out to, to have a, a look at, actually. Mertz, Wilhelm. Uh, yeah, probably travelling under a different name and nationality with a forged passport 
a dangerous Gestapo agent probably armed to be arrested on site. And we have here in May of 1940, just when everything's gone really badly wrong for the Allies in, on mainland Europe, the night duty officer in the security service gets a telephone call saying, Mertz had been seen that afternoon, that's the 25th of May, getting into a taxi in Regent Street. He had been recognised without any doubt. The service springs into action. I arranged with him that I should send as many photographs as could be spared by a dispatch rider and that Hunt would send out special branch officers to inquire at all possible hotels. So the hunt is on. There's a real panic on here. And the file continues with this great hunt going on around London. Could it be that our Nazi Pimpernel was hiding in the plush apartments of Duquesne Court? Uh, Café Royal visited. Café Royal watching a nightclub called the El Morocco. Mertz was staying at the Kensington Hotel, Vienna Cafe, Oxford Street Corner Cafe, Royal Hyde Park Hotel, Dominion Cafe, Old Glass Vienna Cafe, Cafe, various cafes and clubs. Cotton Court Road. You see, he doesn't go anywhere near Ballon. They detect that he's been seen talking to a woman. This woman is a, is a person called Carlan. They interrogate her, and to the absolute fury and frustration of the security service they just let her go and someone's written i must say i must say i feel hunter's taken an unnecessary risk and this is all rather disappointing <laughs> mertz is undoubtedly one of the cleverest secret agents the germans have at the present time he's the one that got away as our man at mi5 would say it's all rather disappointing there was only one german spy active throughout the war and he was tailed to a large number of west end cafes bars and hotels but never to Duquesne Court. But what about the ones who didn't get away? The ones that were turned into double agents working for the UK? Maybe they had hung out down south. OK, let's have a look at this file. This is for Albert Herman. 33 Charlwood Street, West Leeds. to live in Ebury Mews. 2 St James's Square. Address in Liverpool. West Wickham Road. He got on the Northern Line and went to Ballon. Ellsport Road, Ebury Mews. House, he went to Pimlico. I mean, there's nowhere, frankly, in Ballon. What's wrong with Ballon, eh? My search was in vain. Spies preferred a more central location. But what about the hotbed of spies on the seventh floor? Howard Davis didn't think it was very likely. That would be a very a very bizarre arrangement. I can't really see how even an intelligence organisation as haphazard as the German one seemed to have been in Britain would have seen advantage in getting everybody to just live together and gather their intelligence en masse. It would be a good sitcom, but very poor <laughs> intelligence work, wouldn't it? For the spy theory, the investigation was over. But the main target of the case was the identity of Hitler's headquarters, and I only had a week to try and find it. Just how much do we really know about what Britain would have looked like under Nazi occupation? I decided to draw on the wisdom of Norman Longmate. A veteran of the Second World War and historian, he's probably the leading expert on the Nazi invasion plans. And he told me some pretty startling stuff about what visible changes we'd have noticed. I think the thing that would have been most obvious is the possible removal of Nelson's column. Children, have you ever met the bogeyman before? But there was a suggestion that Nelson's column might have been removed to Berlin and displayed there as a triumphant symbol. And I think it was a sort of grand gesture that would appeal to Hitler. Hush, hush, hush. Here comes the boogeyman, 
Nelson's column in Berlin? What a frightful notion. And who would have headed this newly created outpost of the Reich? There is no obvious traitor. I think the Germans would have had a look at all the descendants of, of Queen Victoria. Remember, the Kaiser was directly descended from Queen Victoria, the Kaiser in the First World War, and therefore there were in Germany a lot of people who uh, were related to the British royal family, and I think that they would have cast around for the most suitable of those and have made him into a sort of puppet uh, monarch. The real government, of course, would have been in, in Canada. That's where they expected to go. The king would have been there. And I think the, the, the British cabinet, if it hadn't uh, died in the uh, occupation, uh, might well have gone there as well. I needed to get to the crunch. And Norman had some rather interesting ideas about where the Gestapo would be heading for. I think they were certainly have chosen one of the West End clubs. They always gave great importance to the clubs and to the British aristocracy. I think they'd all, all been reading the novels of P.G. Woodhouse. I think they would have requisitioned whatever properties they, they needed. The West End hotels would have been very popular and presumably the large blocks of flats would have been doubtless requisitioned. Large blocks of flats? But there was still no proof. I had one final appointment. I'd been told that the Imperial War Museum held all the documentation on the Nazi invasion plans. Their senior historian, Terry Charman, agreed to meet me. And this is the showcase dealing with the invasion scare in the summer and autumn of 1940. There's a little book here. It's called The Black Book, the Gestapo Arrest List. And it lists the names of over 2,000 people in the United Kingdom that the Nazis were going to take into, and I always use the term in inverted commas, protective custody had they successfully invaded Britain. The book was yeah. thrown together very, very quickly and you have people listed there like Sigmund Freud who had died in September 39, so he was already dead when the list was compiled, and Lytton Strachey, the Bloomsbury intellectual, who died as early as 1932. He's listed in the book. And there are some terrific howlers. There's nobody on there who lives in Balham, is there? Uh, I can't. I don't recall seeing uh, seeing Balham listed. No. There's a notice here which seems rather presumptuous. It reads: "No entrance without permission of the chief in command of the German secret police for Great Britain." And the, these were prepared and pr these printed prepared, and ready. Prepared, yes. One of the rumours at Duquesne Court. Duquesne Court was a very modern block, and and there was a, a radio um, in every flat, and. Um, there were a lot of rumours about Lord Haw-Haw there breaking in on BBC transmissions. Did Lord Haw-Haw break in to BBC transmission? What the Nazis went in for much more was actually a wailing device to jam the broadcast, but it doesn't last for very long. We believe that the British people are already wishing they had never entrusted their fate to the warmongers who ruled them. In the phony war, the first nine months of the war, when Lord Haw-Haw, William Joyce, was the number one personality of the war, one in six Britons was listening to him regularly. The BBC was so dull for the first few months of the war that millions of people tuned into Lord Haw-Haw on purpose. Duquesne Court's manager may just have been one of them. So when all 600 radios started piping out German propaganda, it wasn't as sinister as all that. The rumours of spies that resulted were just part of a wider swirl of careless talk. 
One of the most fascinating things is that of war neurosis, that we have a large number of examples on record of people claiming that such and such an event had happened when all too obviously it hadn't happened, or indeed they wouldn't have even had the information to know that it happened. Yeah, one common link seems to be that if buildings escaped bombing, invariably they seem to, rumours seem to start attaching themselves. Was the targeting that accurate? No, the targeting wouldn't be that accurate. I mean, it's still, despite what people say, isn't all that accurate today. So it's extremely unlikely that buildings would have been spared deliberately because they were navigational aids or, or whatever. I think it would almost even be impossible. The lack of bombing was purely coincidental. The nest of spies was war neurosis, but still the central plank remains. Was Duquesne Court marked out for development in Hitler's own version of Grand Designs? There was one more document Terry wanted me to see, and it wasn't on display. He took me behind the scenes to inspect it. These are the directives produced by the German general staff that would have been in place had the Germans successfully invaded Britain. And we see here a very, very sinister touch. The able-bodied male population between the ages of 17 and 45 will, unless the local situation calls for an exceptional ruling, be interned and dispatched to the continent with a minimum of delay. So if there's going to be any indication of where they're planning to base themselves, it would be in here. here. Is there anything in here about requisitioning buildings or no, where they're going to base themselves? No, I'm afraid not. Is it possible or feasible that there is more documentation somewhere in an attic or in an archive, that there is more stuff yet to come to light? Well... I, I, I would never say yes or no on that one because, you know, our items do keep on appearing. Aha, maybe the truth is still out there somewhere. But Duquesne Court, like Senate House and Bridge North and Blackpool and Oxford and Blenheim Palace and Windsor Castle, are all basing their claims on the idea that the Nazis selected individual buildings in advance. And there's no evidence that they did. And there was no telling what buildings would be standing anyway. Their single spy would have certainly recommended somewhere in the West End, judging by his lifestyle, and the Gestapo would have been so busy trying to arrest people who'd been dead for eight years that they wouldn't have had time to commute in from Ballam. That said, all our experts did seem agreed that if the Nazis had invaded, Duquesne Court would have been just the sort of place they were after. And maybe that was the feeling at the time. Maybe it was a musical joke, as Arthur Smith had suggested. And like most jokes, there was a kernel of truth in there somewhere. It was case closed. Until the crucial document turns up, we'll never know if Hitler and Ava Braun intended to watch the sun set over Balham, gateway to the south.